It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. As the summer turned its page from July to August, I sat down with Sharks broadcasters Randy Hahn, Dan Ruzanowski, Brett Hedekin, and Drew Remenda to discuss the month of change that was July, with a new general manager, a new head coach, and many other changes having been made. This is that conversation. All right, we now have joining us on the Sharks Audio Network. It's the broadcast crew, Brett Hedekin, Drew Remenda, Dan Ruzanowski, Randy Hahn, uh, happy summer, everyone. We are into August. We're getting a lot closer to the upcoming season. Still a ways to go, though. But as we all expected when we spoke at the end of the year, we knew there were going to be a great number of changes, and a great number of changes have indeed occurred. So, you know, Dan, I will start with you, just your overall viewpoint. You've been here for change before with head coaches. We haven't had too many changes at general manager as of late. So just your reaction to everything, where we are and where things are headed. Well, I think this is an exciting time for the Sharks organization. And it reminds me of 20 years ago when the Sharks were out of the playoffs and they named Doug Wilson general manager. And right away, a breath of fresh air came into the organization. Doug made a variety of changes uh, to the way that he approached things. And the next year, the Sharks were in the conference final. I'm not saying that that's going to necessarily happen right away, but that's the, the, the sense that I get from Mike Greer coming into the organization. He brings uh, a great deal of expertise in the game. He has Great leadership characteristics. You can see that already in the way that he conducts himself. He presents himself in a way that uh, that you want a leader to do. And I think he's made some pretty definitive moves so far with changes to the staff, adding some uh, some different personalities in the scouting department, uh, a new assistant general manager that we know and love, Tom Holy, coming back to the organization from Dallas, and a variety of other changes, not the least of which was hiring an experienced and very qualified head coach, David Quinn, and much, much more to come now with assistant coaches and many other things with players coming in. Six players also um, at the NHL level coming in to totally change the, the mix of the organization. And so gets back to what I started with, and that is a lot of exciting times and a lot of things to look forward to for the organization. Randy, obviously change is the one constant in sport, but it feels like so much with the Sharks has been so consistent for so long with Doug Wilson at the top. You know, there was his network, there was, you know, his guys, there was a lot of that overall consistency. And now with this much change uh, happening in one summer, which, you know, it was going to come uh, eventually, you know, just what, what's your overall viewpoint? Well, this is drastic change. Uh, this is jarring change. And the changeover from Doug Wilson as general manager per se, I think was a little more gradual because of his stepping away back in November on a, at that time, temporary basis uh, due to medical reasons that, that kind of started this, but that was a slow burn over the regular season and Doug didn't come back. And I think we all got the sense that he might not come back. And that's exactly how it turned out. Uh, once uh, Mike Greer was hired, though, dominoes started to fall rapidly, and uh, it's it's been drastic. Uh, if you're a 
Sharks fan that's maybe not hardcore and you follow the team a little more casually and maybe don't even pay that much attention till the season starts. Boy, are you in for a shock <laughs> when you check the organizational chart and also uh, the roster. Uh, this is profound and dramatic change as as drastic <clears throat> as I can remember in our league, in a team at one time in a long, long time, maybe somebody can correct me, but I can't remember GM coach, uh, high profile players, uh, high profile people in the organization after the GM and so on and so on. So this is definitely uncharted territory here. It's drastic turnover. Uh, and I think it, in some ways, although it seems hard to believe it's just the beginning because the turnover on the player side is going to continue. Some of that's natural from year to year, but as the Sharks continue to navigate the salary cap issues that they have to deal with right now and going forward in the short term, I think that we are going to see a lot more change. At least that's the sense I get. Brett Hedekin, what is this like from the player's perspective inside the dressing room, inside the team culture? Obviously, you know, these guys have been through changes at head coach, but this is a, I guess not restructuring, but there is, everything is very much different than it was one year ago when they're walking into training camp. And, uh, you know, you've also have lost a, an icon in terms of Brent Burns, who's been a, a, a constant, you know, the guy it was hard to get off the ice, literally. Everything, you know, whether you're Logan Couture, whether you are Eric Carlson, everything's different now. Yeah. If I look back, if I think about the guys on this team and, and what they felt like after the season ended and, and how it ended and um, them not making the playoffs again for the third consecutive year. And if I was coming back, if I'm Logan Couture and everything was the same, if, if Doug Wilson eventually came back or uh, maybe he just stepped away and the regime was still the same. I would have felt like something needed to shift. And as a player, yeah, you don't want to see this, this change happen. A lot of times you want some sort of consistency, but I think at this point, these players want to see a shift. They want to move in a different direction. And like Randy said, it was something that right from the top down, you're seeing a change that we haven't seen very many times. I think in the NHL is as far as the, the GM coach and everything that you mentioned, Randy, um, but I think as a player, you have to take this as, okay, I'm starting over. Even if I'm a Logan Couture, even if I'm Eric Carlson, I'm starting in a new situation where I have to reprove myself, not only to the general manager, but to his staff. And then obviously then the players uh, around him, that the new guys coming in. So I think this is a great shift um, as a player. You got to be excited about the, the changes and, and then going in there and reproving yourself. I think that's the one thing you always knew as an NHL hockey player and as a pro athlete in general is that you're never, you never sleep good. <laughs> you never sleep yeah. easy. You're always on your toes. You're always on edge. And now you're a little more on edge. And I think that's good for the Sharks. Well, give me, give me a guy that's got something to prove. If I'm a coach, give me a guy all the time who's hungry. It's hard to be hungry when you're full. There shouldn't be any full bellies coming into the Sharks this, this September. Well, Drew, I was going to ask you from the, from the coaching perspective, how does David Quinn set that tone as the new guy while at the same time, 
not stepping on any toes, but maybe some toes do need to be stepped on. I, I, I think he needs to step on some toes. I think he needs to come in. He, David Quinn's not the type of guy talking to some people in New York. He's not the type of guy to come in and start kicking rear ends and taking pictures off the wall and, and repainting the dressing room. That's the he, Drew Remenda style. That's, that's well, no. <laughs> there's another guy after me, but um, <laughs> the there's, he is a guy who is the new type of coach that we're seeing a coach who, who treats players like professionals, a coach who um, is actually quite um, affable and warm towards the players. But that doesn't mean that you, you're soft. It's like being a parent. It's like being a father. It's the same type of relationship you have. You treat the, the, your kids with respect. You set the guidelines of this is the behavior we want. You try to lead by example. You hold guys accountable. And when you hold guys accountable, or at least warn them, you have to follow through. Like if I'm saying, hey, you can't play that way. You've got to be doing this. And you keep going out in the same shift and do this, do this, do this. And you're going, well, I got I to take the one thing I've got away from you, which is ice time. So you have to set your, your bar. Your bar should be high. You shouldn't be going in going, hey, we're just trying to, trying to just get along again and we're just going to try to build and be good. No, your, your bar should be set at we're trying to be a playoff team. And you should hold guys accountable to that level of performance. And, and isn't that Bob, uh, Bob Bugner, he had a difficulty with that, in my opinion, because of the roster. You know, uh -huh. you're, you're asking players to push for spots. You're asking people to force other people out of the lineup. So if, if you're, uh, you know, using ice time to send messages, you have to be able to replace that player who you're trying to send a message to with someone who's going to push. And I think that the, the roster handicapped the prior coaching staff right. in that regard to some extent. And that, you know, kind of goes to the next thing with Mike Greer now trying to make the, especially the second half of the roster better. There's, there's not a whole lot because of uh, contract issues he can do with the top half, the exception being what he did with Burns, but it's that second six, as we like to call it. And, and that D group after the top three or four that you can, you can play with a little bit. And, and, and hopefully, you know, this is the beginning with bringing in players like Nico Sturm and Steve Lorenz and Matt Benning and, and, uh, and others that you have proven players that you can use to push the youngsters so that Scott Reedy, for example, knows that he's not handed a chance to play in the NHL. He, I'm just using him as, a, as right, an example, exactly. not, yeah. that, not that he didn't do his job to push necessarily, but he can't be handed these things or Thomas Bortolo or William Eklund or, or whoever it is. They have to earn it. And, and I don't think that was as easy to do last year or the last couple of years. And hopefully now it starts to become harder for these guys to hold on to spots if they're not earning them. Agreed. 100%. Dan, Dan, what is priority number one for you for Mike Greer going forward? Well, priority number one, obviously, is to uh, is to deal with whatever happens with the Evander Kane situation. And that's going to be coming up very, very shortly. Um, priority 1A, which I understand is is uh, making good progress toward being completed, is getting Mario Ferraro signed to a contract. And I understand things are going very well in that uh, direction. 
from everything that I've been hearing. So um, those are two of the things that he has to do. The third thing that is that he'll understand how much room he has to get through the season. And you always remember, you want to keep a little bit in the bank account for toward the trade deadline. So he wants to make sure that uh, that he has the right sort of mix with his roster at the start of the year. My guess is probably this will uh, be a little bit after the team gets back from Europe. Maybe they keep a couple of guys around that, that are extras necessarily on the roster that they might not otherwise do. But you take a look at the defense, for instance, you've got nine defensemen who have NHL experience that, that are coming back next year. Uh, I, I suppose one of the big ones is Nikolai Knizhov. Is he healthy? Can he play? Will he have to go to the Barracuda for a while? Probably. Uh, what's going to happen with Radim Shimek and his contract and his status for playing? And can Marcus Nudovara step back and be healthy again as well? Somebody that has NHL experience. So, you know, those are three things that, that happen on defense to push guys like Merkley and, and uh, Hataka and even Magna to try to earn their positions back at the NHL level. Um, Eddie, and I agree with your list, but is Timo Meyer's extension not right after Mario Ferraro getting set for this season? Because that's going to be a huge one, guys. And 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 based on comparables, aren't we talking about a number that maybe starts with 10? Well, it's going to have to start with I 10, know, Randy, I... because, uh, because that's the qualifying offer, because that's his salary this season. So, uh, you know, you're going to retain his salary at 10, but you don't, you don't necessarily, if you do a long-term deal with him, uh, uh, have it as an AAV at 10 or higher. It might be lower than that, which is back-end loaded into the line of where the top players on the Sharks are, are, are making, maybe a little bit more than that if he continues to play the way he does. But my guess is that happens during the season. I don't think that he does that necessarily right away, but but you're right, Randy. This That is a huge priority to make sure that that gets that nailed down and that, that'll give him better uh, opportunities to, you know, to prepare for the future. And, you know, related to that too, you know, the goaltending is another issue we'll talk about in a little bit with, he's got seven guys right now <laughs> under contract that, that are competing um, four of which uh, four of whom have NHL experience. So that's going to be an interesting decision that has to be made for Mike Greer as well to start of the year. Who does he go to Europe with? Uh, who, which, which of the three goaltenders that you have under contract from last year isn't here uh, after a certain point in, in the early stages of the year. And I think those are those are things that will buy him some salary cap space to be able to deal with the Meyer situation and to make any other moves that he might be able to do. Eddie, I've got two blue liners, Mark Edward Vlasic and Eric Carlson. <clears throat> in terms of Vlasic, he was definitely better in the second half, but I think we all agree that he can be more. And I don't mm -hmm. think that he's at the age yet where he should be as relatively inconsistent as he's been as of late. How much of that is going to be on Quinn? How much is that going to be on Vlasic himself? Um, well, Mike Greer is going to start with him with what he had d discussed when he got the job as a general manager, uh, talking about uh, more accountability. And I, mm -hmm. I know Drew mentioned that and, and Randy. Um, also, just a higher compete level. Now, in order to compete at a higher level when you're on the ice, and we all know as a player, when you do drills and practice and we do three on three and, and Drew, you can discuss this a lot. We'll, we'll shorten the ice and we'll bring the, bring the nets in, you know, we'll go we'll cross ice. We'll do three on three, four on four, five on five, where we do it in small areas where we compete at a high level in order to compete at a high level, five on five, and even strength, you need to be conditioned and you need to be highly competitive. And what I mean by highly competitive, that's a nature that's inside you that grows as your accountability grows within a team. And I, when I look at guys like Vlasic and Eric Carlson, 
For me, they're great hockey players. I think they need to take another step in their conditioning, be held to a, a more accountable to the level at which they should play at every night. And that means, you know, the standard at which, you know, Greer is passing on to Quinn and Quinn then, you know, having the, the ability to then hold these guys accountable. Uh, it's going to start with those two guys. If, if you don't get Vlasic and you don't get Carlson, you know, better conditioned to be able to be more competitive on a five on five and a nightly basis, then, you know, we're, we're going to get more of the same inconsistency, I think, with both those guys. But we need those guys to be at the highest level. They need to be training as hard as they've ever trained in their life going into this season. Errol Sutter with the Calgary Flames talked about his team this year uh, in the playoffs. And he was asked about how long did it take? When did the team click in this year about what you wanted? And he goes, it didn't click in this year. It started last year. It started when we got knocked out. I told them before they went away for the summer that the games change now. You got to get lighter. You got to get faster. You got to change your conditioning. The game is about being quick to places. It's no longer north south stretch to play out, fire the long pass. Forget it. That's not working anymore. You've got to be going to wait back to what you said, Brett. You've got to condition your body differently. And as you get older, like none of us are what we used to be. Well, maybe exception of Brett and Randy. And Danny and Ted, you, me, maybe, okay, me, I'm not what I used to be. But the bottom line is you have to change your conditioning. You have to, you have to continue to adjust so your body doesn't get used to where it is. You can't be stagnant. And so you're right on the track, Brett, with that, because you have, this game now is all about quickness. This game is about getting to pucks first. This game is about being able to get two pucks and then separate yourself Think quick, not fast. And the only way you can do that is by changing the, the way you trained coming into the season and the way you trained during the season. I agree with you, Brad, 100%. Yeah. Well, it seems that they got that message through to Timo Meyer uh, an offseason ago. Did they? I mean, <laughs> so that, but it's a different I, regime now. It's a yeah. different, it's different delivery of the message. But they well, got it through to Timo Meyer after he had a very disappointing season. And then with Carlson and whoever wants to jump on this, I'll let you, you know, when he is healthy, he is still very, very good, but obviously he's not consistently staying healthy. Brett, it goes back to what Brett was talking about. If, if you're continuing to get hurt year after year, after year, after having not any situations before this certain point in your career and your age, well, what should you do? You got, you got to think consistency over intensity. How can I be a consistent player? Because when I'm a consistent player, if you're Eric Carlson, he's a good player. He's a top-level player, as you said. But if you're continuing to get hurt, well, what am I doing before that to prepare my body not to get hurt anymore? Yeah, Drew, I, when, I, when I think back of my mid-years of my NHL career, when I was getting hurt, when I could really get through about 60 games of an NHL season, and then you could feel the lug nets on all the wheels starting to loosen. <laughs> and then the, 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 I was hanging on for dear life the last 20 games, and I would miss games because of little odds and ends uh, growing. Or, you know, these are the things that you, you can control. The stepping on the back of your leg if you're Matt Cook and you hurt Eric Carlson back when he was in Ottawa when he, you know, he, he cuts yeah. you and kill you. You can't do anything about things like that. Those are things that when you're playing professional sports, they happen. But the, the injuries that we see with, with Carlson, with the growings and the, the muscle injuries, the obliques, whatever he's had in, in these injuries over the course of the, uh, his time here in San Jose, those are things, in my opinion, are conditioning. 
And uh, those are the things that he has to find a way to raise his level to be a higher standard of excellence within himself. He's making what 11 million. I don't even know. He's the highest paid player last year, as far as defense was concerned. And I think in the NHL In the NHL. And I think he was 44th ranked defenseman in scoring. So here's a guy that, you know, you're paying a lot of money to, but we're not getting what we're paying for. So he's got to look at himself to demand more. I know that's, that's what I had to do back in those middle years. And I finally got figured, you know, things out as I got older in the ages that they're in now, I, I doubled down. I tripled down to try to train better, learn how to get my body to play 82 games, learn how to, you know, be driving as the season gets going on. I'm getting stronger and then ready for the playoff run. I knew what it took to go to the Stanley cup finals because I'd been there a couple of times before. And then, you know, when you have that memory of knowing, what it's going to take to get there. Well, you got to train a whole higher level. And I think that's what we need from Carlson. There's and, no and doubt the about that. Guys of, uh, of Mike Greer is saying that, you know, he, he wants to bring in people with new ideas and new ways of doing things. It's interesting to me that teams in the NHL don't put more of an emphasis on monitoring and dictating off-season training, diet, et cetera. What about an idea of your strength and conditioning coaching staff? And I know the Sharks are going through a transition in that department right now. Why not have those coaches on the road in the off-season? Have them going to where these elite players are living and training and getting ready for the next season, spending days with them, not just sending out uh, an email of what you should do or doing a zoom uh, series that they watch and are supposed to replicate in person, monitor this. Uh, You're putting so many financial eggs in the basket of some of these players. Why not take a a stronger hand in the off-season, in-person work that they're doing? I I think it might be something to explore. And, of course, players want their time to themselves at the end of a season. But uh, certainly by now, they are in full-bore training mode for next season. Why not be right with them, whether they're in Europe, whether they're in Ottawa, in the off-season, wherever they are? And part of what you guys can also do is address the the psychological issue, especially with Eric Carlson, because he's been used to being that elite athlete. And I don't want to say not have to train that hard. I'm sure he did. But uh, being able to have his body always recover. And I know when I turn 30 and I know when any athlete turns 30, your body changes a little bit. Uh, Brett, you said that you were at your best shape when you were 36 years old, maybe had your best season. That was after making changes. But psychologically, it's got to be a little bit more difficult, maybe for a superstar type player to, you know, to actually actually believe that he, he needs to do that. And that's maybe where Randy's idea of, of closer monitoring in person could, could make a big difference. But, you know, I remember Dave Taylor, for instance, uh, Bernie Nichols, these are guys that changed the way that they played in their thirties to make their career last longer. Eric's not there yet, but, but I, I think he probably is at that stage where his body is starting to change a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, I think that goes back to what Brett was talking about though, when it comes to the mental side of things. It's up, up top. Yeah. Thank you, Brett. Brett has told us stories, and, and the story I love, Brett, is how you tried to train to multitask mm-hmm. to sort of to add a dimension to your game. So maybe if you can tell everybody that again, because I think it's a, a great example of an athlete looking for more. Well, I, yeah, there's a treadmill, um, a lot of skating treadmills that are around North America that players use. And um, a, a guy that I worked with up in Vancouver, he lowered into, into the ground. And over the course of, you know, he was an exercise physiologist. 
and he had it at three degrees elevation at 10 miles an hour. And he would, he would test NHL hockey players at 10 strides without a puck and then 10 strides with a puck. And the drop-off that he saw between without a puck and with a puck was a direct correlation to what players average points per game in the <laughs> NHL. It was, it's unbelievable. The, the less drop-off, the more points you average. So this multitasking idea of when you put a puck on a, on a player's stick and the treadmill is moving underneath you, the, the stride shortens when you, your brain has the ability to multitask. So this was something that I learned about my own personal self that I had to, to dive into to get better at because, um, you know, maybe I wasn't wired like Connor. I, clearly, I wasn't wired like Connor <laughs> McDavid. Um, but, I, you know, th these are areas that you have to be able to look at yourself as a player in the National Hockey League when you've missed the playoff three years in a row. Every player in the Sharks organization has to have that finger pointing back at themselves saying, what can I do more? What can I do better? Where are my weaknesses? What can I attack to go after the things that I need to improve upon to put this organization into a place where we're making the playoffs and we're going for a Stanley Cup? Because if you don't have those types of people, and this maybe goes back to what Randy said earlier, there's going to be more changes that are going to be made when they start to see the players that don't have that commitment to look at themselves to improve. So let me, let me play devil's advocate, though, beyond – the players because the best coaches give the best players the best chance of success and it's not just Vlasic it's not just Carlson we look at a LeBanc he was a guy who had 56 points a couple of years ago we look at uh, a guy like Logan Couture and I still think that you know he could have more offensive contributions I think that Timo Meyer and Tomas Hurdle still have more that they can do out there I think we look at what Noah Gregor is potentially capable of with his speed. I think that, you know, with some more finishing class, he could have had many more goals last year. How much of all this falls on the onus of Quinn to put these guys in a position to have success? I'm really fascinated to see what David Quinn does because typically what uh, he has a reputation of doing is he doesn't necessarily try to change the way that he coaches uh, for the team that he has, he coaches the way the team needs to be to be successful and he pushes the players to achieve to that point. It's going to be interesting to see exactly how he does push in that that regard and, and realistically how he and Mike Greer work together uh, to create more competition within that that lineup with guys moving back and forth with the AHL and perhaps even a couple of moves to start the year. But uh, to me, that's the, the most interesting part, because in, in his news conference and in my talks with him, he basically said that what he likes to do is provide a structure, but also provide freedom for the players to uh, to be themselves and to be creative within that team concept. Uh, that sounds like a, a real good, uh, really good uh, prescription for Eric Carlson, uh, among others, because that's the, the environment I think that he would like to be in. But it's going to be interesting because there might be some moments early on where things don't necessarily go that well, simply because of the roster that the Sharks have. And I can't wait to see it. Yeah, Randy, it's different because we, we look back, we talk about the team that Todd inherited we talked about the team that Pete inherited. Things had obviously begun to change by the time that Bob took over. But what do you look for when you watch these new coaching regimes begin? Well, in this case with David Quinn, and I would suggest that Mike Greer, in his in his you know methodology of what he was looking for in a head coach, was looking for somebody who could teach because. Looking at this Sharks team for the next three years, if they're going to bring an influx of youth into this team, which is needed, quality youth, 
they're going to require teaching. Um, you know, these, these young players coming out of college, certainly they've had a high level of coaching to some degree, but, and, and Brett and, and Drew can speak to this, you know, more uh, clearly than I can, but playing in the NHL is a, is another animal. And David Quinn, I think, was tasked in New York with trying to bring some youth into that roster and teach them in how to play the NHL game. And, and that's the 200-foot game for these young players. And I don't know that Thomas Bordalo comes into this uh, environment uh, fully functional in the 200-foot game. It's hard to believe he would be at his age. And, and I would think, Drew, don't you, that the coach today in the NHL and certainly in this situation with the Sharks, while there's veteran buttons to push for sure, is going to be required to teach these young players who we hope can be solid NHL players and maybe even star players how to play the 200-foot NHL game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that requires not just time on the ice, it does require time in the game, requires time doing video, go back to what Brett talked about, mentally getting yourself in the right frame and the right mindset to be able to play that 200 foot game. You start to really rely on your assistance. There's a lot of, a lot that goes on a new coach's shoulders and you have to be able to delegate to, delegate to your assistance. I need you to work with these guys. I need you to work with these guys. This is the stuff you're working on. This one, video really comes in handy, but also going back to that conditioning aspect, going back to what you're talking about teaching. That's when I need to get the first thing the head coach I think needs to do is you've got to get Logan Couture, Tomas Hurdle, Timo Meyer, Eric Carlson, Mark Edward Vlasic on your side saying, this is what I need from you guys. Besides your time on the ice, I need you to pick a guy. I need you to pick a young guy and you're going to work with them. You listen to, to, Patrick Kane talk about his relationship with Alex Debrinket and before that, um, or Timmy Panarin, you listen to, um, anybody like I'll go back to the Edmonton Oilers. When, when Leon Dreisaitl was asked a few years ago, why it was so difficult for Leon and Connor to find that next step, that, that being able to be in the playoffs. And, and Leon said, well, we didn't have anybody to learn from who was, who was here when we got here to teach us. Yeah, the coaches do their job, but who was here to help us? Because their players were coming in and out. The older guys were just trying to hang on the job, and they weren't the same type of player that Leon or, or Connor was as far as, you know, where they were in their careers. So you have to have those guys on your side. You have to have those veterans on your side. Get them in say, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. Set your goals. Set the bar of performance and say, I need your help in getting these guys to that place. Yeah. And just to add to what you're saying, Drew, and, and to Randy, what you just mentioned as well is the 50% of the scoring that came from the forwards came from three players, Hurdle, Timo Meyer, and Logan Couture. Um, and when you look at the goals for, for the Sharks this last season, 142 goals for, okay, guys, five on five. So if you think about goal scoring and they're coming from three players, at least from the forward group, and you think about the five-on-five five scoring of 142, which, by the way, was the 32nd team out of 32 teams this year in the NHL. We were the worst. The San Jose Sharks, five-on-five five for scoring. So to get to Randy, your point, Connor, is we have to figure out a way to get more competitive with other than three guys scoring goals up front. You've got to add a lot more goal scoring in the second six, in, in wherever you want to put them from the forward line 
the four lines. We have to get more scoring. And if you can't be highly competitive to add in that nature and to add in the scoring in this department, this shark team is not, is going to, is going to flounder. So that's for me, that's where I'm looking at going into the season is what this team can do five on five, where the scoring is going to come from other than those three players. And uh, that's the things that they need to address. Puts the heat on Nick uh, on uh, Kevin LeBanc, doesn't it? Hetty? the the way that that, uh, that sort of figures in, because depending on how much maneuverability the sharks have at the start of the year, he's going to have to start off with a bang and have a very consistent year. And I talked with him a couple of weeks ago. He looks like he's in really good shape. He says he feels really good, but obviously it's another step forward. He's working, uh, I'm told with a skating coach, which is something that's, that's good to see and a variety of other things. Looking at the second half of this last year, there were only three players on the Sharks roster that had 10 goals or more in the whole second half. And they were Timo Meyer, Logan Couture, and Nick Bonino uh, of, all, of all players. They need more from those depth scorers. LeBanc can do that, but they're going to need to get it from Cunning and from Sturm and, and from Noah Gregor to take another step forward. We saw some good signs last year that he's uh, looking like he wants to be and is going to be a full-time NHL player. But, uh, you know, those are guys that are going to have to kind of lead the way. And anything you get from young players like Eklund or Bordalo or Reedy is a bonus. Yeah, Red, yeah, just, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, sorry, go ahead, Ted, go ahead. no yeah, just real quick about uh, LeBanc. I mean, he only scored three goals in his, what, 21 games this year, yeah. which right. is about 14% of the games. Uh, he's usually on a 21% of the games that he normally scores. So that's a player um, that clearly didn't get off on the right foot this last year and then got the injury. So he needs to be a lot better. I'm glad he's working with a skating coach again. That's something that can never change. It's like for me with my multitasking that Drew brought yeah. up, I had to consistently work on my multitasking every day. I would juggle. And, and this is something for Kevin LeBanc. You've got to be more conditioned with your legs you got to be stronger in the corners. And then obviously, you know, the, the other part is for him is his skating. He definitely has to continue to work on his skating. So I'm liking to hearing that. And he's here all summer too. He's not in Staten Island. He's here with the uh, working out in San Jose. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to uh, Kevin in person um, earlier in the summer and he did look to be in good shape and was working hard. So that was definitely encouraging. Randy, I wanted to ask you about the hype around William Eklund and Thomas Bordalo. And so much of what we've had with the Sharks is all this established veterans year after year, not a lot of high draft picks, not a lot of talk about incoming young players. Do, do you think it's it's damaging for any of these guys to have all this pressure put on them? Because it is such a stark contrast to what the Sharks have been. There's, I mean, we were excited about Logan Couture. We were excited about Timo, Heyer, Timo Meyer, Tomas Hurdle. But I guess it's just a different paradigm right now with the way people talk about William Eklund, because the team has been on a downward trend and they're looking for the next young savior. Well, you know, I think you're, you're treading on thin ice. If you put too much pressure on these young guys, uh, number one, I don't know that there's uh, league wide pressure on these guys. These are not elite drafted forwards. These are not players that were taken in the, in the top end of the draft where there are huge expectations for them to shoot out of the gate and, and become stars uh, from the shark standpoint, because this franchise has not drafted in the top end for so long because of the consistency of making the playoffs. There's certainly more focus, but uh, I don't know how much pressure necessarily is on these guys in a marketplace like this, where the sharks don't 
get a lot of external pressure from the media and things like that. It's not like when training camp opens that there's going to be eight television cameras uh, <laughs> on these two players coming into camp. Can they be superstars? This is not Taves and Kane. Uh, you know, this is a different situation. And, and I think with what Greer has done so far with adding some uh, established NHL player at the forward positions, he, he's maybe signaling that he's not counting on these guys to immediately fill the net, maybe not even make this team coming out of training camp. Who knows? Could they be better served uh, down the hall at the new rink uh, playing for the Barracuda uh, for some time until, and, and this goes back to accountability, and, and, and we've talked about that already, until they earn their spot in the NHL roster. So I, I don't think there, there's a huge amount of pressure. Sure, Shark fans are excited that there's some young talent coming into the organization after missing the playoffs for three years. But I think that if we're expecting William Eklund and Thomas Bordalo to vault a team that missed the playoffs by 20 points last year into the playoffs, that's unfair. That's unfair to them, and it's unrealistic. Who wants to take a stab at the glut of goalies? <laughs> I think it's a strategy. I think that Mike Greer is doing that, A, to have competition uh, within the, the team for the first part. Remember, the team is going to Europe. Uh, I think they, I'm not sure, but I think they might allow them to take three goaltenders to Europe uh, for those games, if I'm not mistaken. But the other side of that too is it gives him some maneuverability later uh, to get some other assets back. You know, chances are that uh, that Strauss Mann and A2 Makaniemi are probably going to be the two goaltenders for the San Jose Barracuda. Uh, but that leaves four other goaltenders, Reimer, Kakinen, Hill, and Aaron Dell back with the organization mm -hmm. who have some NHL experience. I think that's good because there's really no clear cut number one. And let's not forget that James Reimer was used quite a bit last year, probably more than he should have been at age 34. And so uh, they want to be a little more judicious with his time, assuming that he's here. Uh, Kakinen is the guy that I think they have a lot of hope for, but you know, he's very coachable. He's worked well with Nabokov already, but we'll have to see how that all works out. And then of course, Aiden Hill coming off as, uh, an injury plague season. We, we really don't know where he's at. So um, to me, it's, it's a real strategy for Mike Greer to have just as many options po as possible at that position. Aiden Hill, just to add to that, sorry, Ted, I want to jump in here real yeah. quick. I think the one guy that uh, for me, that was interesting over the course of the summer of, of maybe, a general manager coming in, he would want to move a guy like Aiden Hill right away um, to get an asset for him. I like the fact that he's coming back. I'm really, this is the guy going into training camp for me. I'm, I'm keeping a close eye on Aiden Hill um, coming off. As you mentioned, Dan, an injury plague season. Uh, I, I, a couple times we have to, and Randy, you, you can kind of add to this is we had a couple times we had scratched about uh, Aiden Hill and, and, you know, just seeing a, a more committed effort from him on a nightly basis. And I can't wait to see what he did over the course of the summer to get his body conditioned, ready for a, a rebound. Like if you're this young in your career and you've already been bounced a couple times, I'd, I'd be looking in the mirror very hard at myself. So for him, I want to see him come in in guns a blazing. I want to see him steal a job and I want to see him push other goaltenders that are in this uh, training camp coming in. Uh, I want to see him steal, steal a job and really take it. 
Well, and, and this is, uh, to, I agree with you, it's going to be a, a compelling storyline. And, and really, doesn't it come down to Aiden Hill and Kapo Kakadin? These are two young goaltenders who have an opportunity to grab a starting goaltending job, 60 starts a year, whatever you want to call it. Uh, those opportunities don't come that far, uh, you know, that often for players who haven't achieved it yet. Here's the opportunity for those two and the battle at training camp between those two. As James Reimer sits on the sidelines, knowing he's going to get his starts one way or the other, whether it's as the backup or if neither of those proves to be the real deal yet as the starter or perhaps somewhere else. But to me, that competition between Hill and Kakinen for who's going to grab the torch, who's going to be the goaltender, who's do, do the shark can the Sharks find a goaltender for really the first time since Nabokov that they can place in 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 the lineup, knowing that he's their number one going forward and be able to take care of that position and not worry about it for a while, because right now it's still a worry. Overall, last year, when James Reimer was in the net, he, did, he wasn't the problem, really, for the most part. When you look at James Reimer's performance last year, I would have put him as the MVP because he did give them a chance to stay in games and even win games from his play. Or am I, am I off base there? No, I agree. All agreed. I think Reimer was is the most consistent all year long, for sure. So if we all agree then and he's not getting any younger and is probably not part of the long-term value, wouldn't we all agree that he's never had more value to the rest of the NHL? Mm, I think he's got more value, value to the San Jose Sharks right now than he does to the rest of the NHL. I agree. Okay. I, I think it's some one of the other two goaltenders, if, if it doesn't work out here, that might provide more value. And of course, you know, you go back to Aiden Hill's season last year. Yeah, he, you know, he did scratch, make us scratch our heads a few times. But remember that game in Calgary where he was the best player on the ice? I mean, mm -hmm. he's got he's got that ability uh, to step forward. So, um, you know, he could be a guy uh, that is probably valued maybe a little bit more because of his age. And well, that's why it's so a microcosm of what we talked about before internal competition and, right. and, you know, these two, uh, Kakinen and, um, and Hill trying to unseat Reimer, Reimer trying to hang on Aaron Dell somewhere in the mix of all this still carrying forth the dream that he can be an NHL goaltender, whether that's a starter or not remains to be seen, but it, it's a, it's a fascinating dynamic, at least as we speak today with all these players in the mix, not to mention the, uh, the young goalies that Dan mentioned as well. Um, right. Just as we to head. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. No, I just, you know, just to extrapolate a little longer on, on what Rusinowski's had just said, um, you know, really a two-pronged approach when it comes to Aiden Hill. You're right. In Calgary, MVP, we saw something from Aiden Hill, like this guy could be a goaltender. That could be what Randy says, a guy that's going to play 60 games and be the number one guy. But the inconsistency we saw throughout the course of the season was something that, for me, is got to be addressed. I mean, if, if not only physically you were getting hurt, but then the mental up and down of your game uh, being good one night and maybe not so good the next, you've got to take a hard look at yourself, not only physically, but then the mental side of the game that's so important. So Aiden Hill, uh, again, there's just a lot of intrigue there for me. Yeah, and from a coaching point of view, give me a, give me a guy I can trust. That's what I want in a goalie. Give me a guy I can trust. And Aiden Hill's performance last year wasn't uh, in, instilling that confidence from the coaching staff. 
Great. I want to go back to you as we wrap things up here. What is your number one area of intrigue as we get closer and closer to training camp? Um, Mike Greer talked about highly competitive natured people. And, and that's the one thing that I think of when I look at Colorado that just won the Stanley cup. I, I look at the, um, Tampa Bay lightning back-to-back Stanley cup champions. And now, you know, in another, you know, Stanley cup final and lose they, if you go to write down the man to man on their rosters, they're highly competitive natured people. They hate to lose. And, and, and we all hate to lose at being professional athletes. We wouldn't be where we are, but there's that next level of highly competitive. And that's what I want to see in, in the highly competitive natured working from the ground up as Randy's saying more inter- internal competition is going to drive more competition within the group. And that that'll drive more highly competitive nature people, but it'll all equate to five on five goals for that's it. You can wrap it up into that goaltending the, the compete there, the five on five, how we're going to see this really end up uh, more goals for, for the sharks. And it's all going to come down to the highly competitive nature people. Randy, same question to you, your primary area of intrigue as we head towards training camp. Uh, you know, I, I would have to say uh, the, the bite this team plays with. I, I'm looking forward to a new attitude throughout the lineup on how this team uh, progresses. Um, you, you know, I'm not going to say I expect the Sharks to make the playoffs this year. That's a big leap. I mean, are, are they uh, 20 points better than last year, which is what it would take to catch Nashville, which held the last playoff spot last year. And ironically, the Sharks opened the season against. It's possible, uh, you know, the Sharks back in Drew's day accomplished the greatest turnaround in NHL history in points in one season. They improved by over 50. But but let's be realistic here. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the difference. Uh, players like Jonathan Dolan and Rudolph's Balsers, they aren't here anymore because Mike Greer said he wanted to bring players in that played for him the right way. And, and when I look at the kind of people he brought in, particularly uh, Nico Sturm, who I think has been the, the best acquisition at the forward position so far by, by um, Mike, that speaks to somebody who's got some grit, who's, I don't, I don't mean dropping the gloves. I mean, playing the right way, finishing checks, not giving up opportunities to eliminate plays uh, with physicality. Uh, and, and I think that's an element that the Sharks had some of last year, but need more of. And I think uh, it's the kind of element that if you can get breeding within your team, it's infectious and it can go up and down in your, in your lineup and, and you'll get it from places that you never thought you could get it from certain players before. Dan, same question to you. I, I have to agree in, in part with what both Brett and Randy have said so far. Five on five goal performance is important and playing with bite. I'm interested in some of the psychological aspects. You know, back when when I started my pro broadcasting career in the American Hockey League, we used to have a phrase when a guy got reassigned that you had to get a, a whole bunch of toothpicks out to hold up his lip because he was so glum <laughs> at being reassigned to the American Hockey League. And uh, I'm going to be interested to see how many toothpicks we're going to have to get out with some of these guys when they are reassigned to the AHL and how they handle that challenge, because that's going to be a big part of the development of their NHL careers. And I'm thinking of people like Bortolo, Reedy. I'm thinking about uh, Ryan Merkley, guys that are going to be challenged to, to hold on to a job. And then the other psychological aspect I'm thinking about is related to that bite. 
Oscar Lindblom, what kind of an inspiration is he going to be mm-hmm. uh, for this hockey team? I'm hearing great things about Stephen Lawrence from Carolina, about what kind of a person he is and what he's going to bring to a team. And of course, Nico Sturm, as Randy said, an outstanding acquisition. Luke Cunning, a former first round draft pick who's got something to prove uh, at the NHL level. These are all players. I'm, I'm interested to see how they psychologically lift the morale of this team and push them forward uh, to get to that next level. Andrew, uh, you'll you'll close us out on your primary area of interest. Um, first, before I get to that, uh, let's not overlook Matt Benning, you guys. I saw Matt Benning in a close-up in, in Edmonton. This guy is a warrior. This guy will give you everything he's got. He's not going to knock you out with his offensive prowess, but the guy's a gamer. You want to talk about Brett and Randy, Danny, that competitive nature, that, that guy that can inspire through his play? You're going to love Maddie Benning. As far as my primary area of intrigue going into this season, of course, I'm going to look at the coaches. I want to see what David Quinn does with his coaching staff. I want to see how those coaches run a practice. Is it quick? Is it snappy? Is it challenging? Are they holding guys accountable? Are they setting a standard and keeping that standard there? Are they able to get the most out of players by, as Randy and Brett and Danny have said, challenging them? You have to challenge an athlete these days. You can't just sit at status quo. And I think going back to what Randy said to start start the broadcast off with Bob Bugner, Bob was stuck with a lineup that was AHL, NHL, up and down. Mike Greer has come in and given David Quinn a solid NHL lineup. These are NHLers that are now, if you look at the, the NHL, the combinations that you think will be the Sharks, that's an NHL lineup. So how much can David Quinn and his coaching staff squeeze out of these guys to push them to a new level to make them better and you only do that by practice you only do that by video you only do that by getting these guys to commit are you committed or are you interested in being better if you can get these guys to commit to being better then i think they're going to be a much better team and a much much more consistent team as far as wins go so for me it's going to be the coaches and how they push this team all right gentlemen well unless anybody has Anything to add before we go? I would just say that that closes us out. Thanks, Thanks Ted. Boys. Thanks, gentlemen. Good Thanks, to talk Ted. to you all. Thank you, guys. Good Have a good one. We'll guys. talk soon. Okay. All right, guys. Bye. Right on. A big thanks to Drew Remenda, Dan Rusinowski, Randy Hahn, and Brett Hedekin for joining me to discuss the summer of change that has been 2022 for the San Jose Sharks. Stay tuned to the Sharks Audio Network for 24-7 Sharks coverage, and make sure to follow us on Twitter at SharksAudioNet. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey, signing off.